Well, good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family. Welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for July 1st, 2020. I hope everyone has, is having a great week uh, this week. You know, this year is already half over, and in some ways I praise God for that. In other ways, I can't believe it's already July 1st. Uh, we have we had a very blessed Lord's Day this past Sunday. Our worship team did another great job leading us in worship, leading us right into the throne room. Um, Brian and Corey, Doug, Skyler, and Hannah, uh, thank you for giving your time, your talents, and your very best to our God. Uh, he and He alone is worthy of our praise. Our church family participated and sang with such enthusiasm. You know, I'm looking forward to meeting again at Memorial this for worship in our worship center this Sunday morning, July 5th at 10.45 a.m. This Sunday I'll be wrapping up our study called A Vision for Leaders out of the book of Nehemiah. And I hope to see you there this Sunday. We are continuing to monitor and evaluate our community and area as we seek to reopen other aspects of our ministry here at Memorial. Our deacons in leadership uh, met last week to discuss the possibility of modifying our plan for moving into phase three of our reopening. Um, In addition to our Sunday morning worship, uh, for instance, on July 12th, we are tentatively looking at adding preschool child care and nursery Uh, during our worship time for those parents who are comfortable with attending. Um, I know that we need that uh, opportunity for parents to come and and listen and uh, worship. And so uh, we're going to be trying to open that on the 12th, tentatively. Uh, There will be a limited number of spaces available uh, for those who have RSVP'd. So we'll need to pre-register for that in order to let our volunteers know how many children will be in the nursery preschool area. Um, Other protocols will also be included and are still being considered for implementation. Uh, We'll probably be checking temperatures. We will have um, uh, hand sanitizers, um, that kind of thing. You know, Jeff Watts and our youth ministry are are going to be allowed to meet during the week following uh, social distancing guidelines and using hand sanitizing and masking capabilities. So um, we're allowing them the freedom to do what they need to do and minister to these young people uh, in the midst of all that's going on. Um, And so be praying for Jeff and and our youth ministry. Um, Also, a one-hour midweek prayer service on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. will be added beginning July 8th. That's next Wednesday. Also practicing social distancing and including other protocols as well. Steve Hubbard will be leading this prayer time and a three-week Bible study from Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And they'll be meeting uh, possibly in the Fellowship Hall uh, over the next three weeks. But I want you to listen carefully. There will be no child care available on Wednesday evenings for now. There will be no children's activities on on Wednesday evenings for now. Our women's Bible study will continue online or be meeting in uh, either Charlene Cates' home or Monica McDougall's home. 
Um, some of these ministries may have the opportunity to resume and meet at the church in late July. Uh, if government recommendations and protocols ease during or due to uh, a decrease in the coronavirus cases. Um, while we're not planning on moving completely into phase three, we are moving in that direction with these modifications. So uh, as I've said before, if you have questions or concerns, please call us. I know this is not easy for any of us, and we're trying to do our best to keep our people and our most vulnerable ones safe as we open up slowly and cautiously. Again, if you have questions or concerns, please call us. You know, each of us should assess our risk individually and in relation to our own families. Please exercise the freedom and the good sense to do what you need to do, extending grace to others as they do the same thing. Um, now, before we jump into our scripture passage this afternoon, I would like to pray together. And if you would, pray with me while I lead us in prayer. Loving Father, I thank you so much for your wonderful love and care for each of your children. Thank you for giving us life and, most importantly, eternal life. Thank you for giving us our families and our spouses, our children, grandchildren. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only son to die for our sins. I ask, Father, that you would be with our country. Please, please, Father, preserve our great nation. I know we don't deserve it because I'm a sinful man and I live among a sinful people, but Father, may your grace abound in our country. Forgive us of our stubborn pride. Forgive us when we've not honored you. Forgive us when we've not ministered to the poor. Forgive us when we've not dealt kindly and generously with our brothers. Lord, I ask that you would be with our president and our government leaders. I ask that you would turn their eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. I ask for wisdom for them and for us as we deal with the many issues that come into our lives each day. I pray, Father, for those who are incarcerated. I ask that your grace and the gospel would spread in the prison system. I pray that you would protect their lives. I ask for mercy and grace for those in our nursing home and care facilities. May our homebound feel your presence with them during this time. Protect them from this virus. Father, give us the wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. Give us the discernment to make the right decisions. Help us to minister to people during these very difficult days. I pray, Holy Spirit, for an outpouring of your Spirit upon our church. And I ask, Father, that we would be in unity for the things that you put on our heart. Father, that we may all be unified in, in walking this journey together. Thank you for loving us so much. Father, please send sweeping revival all across this land to the churches and the saints that belong to you. Oh, how we need times of refreshing. Thank you, Father, for what you are about to do in us and for us, and through us. We love you. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. 
Today we have a great passage of scripture, and um, I just want to say, hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. Um, okay, so you can tell I've been watching Mickey Mouse uh, with my grandkids, okay? Um, <laughs> you know, it, each one of us as Christians have been under the tremendous pressures of life to the point that we're in great discouragement and, I want to say, despondency. We're just so ready for all of this to go away and be done with. See, in these doldrums of living, it is always uplifting to the troubled soul to hear a fellow Christian say, you know what, brother? I am praying for you. These are the precious words and give us great security of mind because we know that people care enough to pray for us in an hour of crisis. See, the human security that comes from knowing other Christians are praying for us is nothing compared to the security Christ brings to the troubled soul as our intercessor, for he is continually praying for all the people of God. What a huge statement. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Master, the Boss, He is the one interceding for us before the throne of God. Huh. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any better than that. As we go into Hebrews chapter 7, um, the, the latter part of it, we're going to be kind of focusing tonight on Hebrews 7, verses 20 through 28. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to that, we're just going to kind of walk through it kind of slowly. I know some of the, the verses we covered last week, just a few of the, the, the beginning verses tonight, but I wanted to kind of recap a little bit there and then move on, um, but finish the chapter. Um, so just by way of background... Um, Hebrews chapter 7 was written to prove the superiority of Christ's present priesthood in heaven compared to the earthly, um, I want to say, priesthood of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, which was part of the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. In this chapter, it is shown that Christ received the authority for his priesthood from Melchizedek and not from Aaron. The Levitical priesthood was temporary, but Christ's priesthood is eternal and therefore superior to the whole Levitical priesthood. In fact, Christ's priesthood was has supplanted has has um, um, was put in, in, in as a uh, as a replacement, if you will, of the Levitical priesthood, and in doing so, it has brought an end to the Mosaic law or the old covenant. Okay, these professing Hebrew Christians had to be convinced that Christ's priesthood was superior, was better to Aaron's, for they were contemplating leaving Christianity and going back under the Levitical system. Folks, this would be tragic because the Levitical system had been done away with by Christ, but it could in no way, the Levitical system could in no way bring a man to God. Therefore, it was essential 
that the author of Hebrews persuade these professing Hebrew Christians of the superiority of Christ's priesthood to the priesthood of Aaron. In verses 20 through 24, we read about the uh, unchangeable priesthood of Christ. Unchangeable. Verse 20 says this, verse 20 and 21. It says, And inasmuch as it is not was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This is the second quote of um, Psalm 110, verse 4, in chapter 7, to show that Christ was made a priest by God's holy oath, and no such oath was ever given in relation to the Levitical order uh, of priests in the Old Testament. I mean, God never said that the uh, priesthood of Aaron would be everlasting. But he did say that the priesthood of Christ would be forever. See, God swore to this promise and he declared that he would never change his mind. He made an oath. Christ is a priest forever with an eternal priesthood. If ever for one instant, one instant, our exalted Lord would cease to exercise his priesthood, then he would be a breaker of his promise and of his holy oath. This is unthinkable because God cannot lie. God has sworn his son will be a priest forever, and he will not repent. He's not going to change his mind on that. Look at verse 22. It says, So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Huh. I love that. The only way that Christ's priesthood could supersede the Levitical law, the Levitical priesthood, excuse me, was to do away with the old covenant, the Mosaic law. The old, excuse me, the, the whole Levitical priesthood was based on the Mosaic law, and God, through the death of Christ, has done away with the Mosaic law, fulfilled it, and the Levitical priesthood, and now Jesus has become the guarantee. He's become the pledge of a better covenant. And the better covenant is the new covenant, which the author will begin to explain in chapter 8. Look at verse 23. It says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers, in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Huh. See, the Levitical priests, they all died. The sons of Aaron were mortal. They were human beings, just like us. And they died. Levitical priests had to pass on their priesthood to their sons, and the total number of priests over the history of Israel ran into the tens of thousands. No priest from the line of Aaron could serve more than 20 or 30 years. But you see, Christ, who is eternal in nature, holds his priestly office eternally, forever and ever. Christ has an unchangeable and an intransmissible priesthood, as contrasted to the Levitical priesthood, which was temporary and perishable. 
Now, to put this in modern terms, human pastors come and go. But Jesus is always in heaven for you. Of course, a pastor is not like an Old Testament priest in that I do not represent you before God. You can go directly to God through Christ. See, my role is to proclaim and to explain God's truth to you. But in that role, there is always the danger that you might depend too much on me. You know, it was 11 years ago on August 4th, by God's grace, that I began my ministry at this church, at Memorial. But the fact is, I could be in heaven next week because I am mortal. While I pray that God will use my ministry as long as he keeps me here to equip and encourage you in your walk with God, don't look to me or become dependent on me. Look to Christ. He holds his priesthood permanently. Folks, I'm banking on that. That's where we need to look. Look to Christ. You know, there's in a, in a sense, I mean, we talk about the finished work of Christ, but uh, let me give me a little latitude here and, and some freedom, but I, I want to talk about the unfinished work of Christ in, in a way, okay, in, in one sense. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about the finished work of Christ in just a moment. But look at verse 25. It says, Therefore, he is also, excuse me, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, the therefore relates back to what has been said previously. Because Christ has a permanent priesthood and abides forever, he is able to save men forever. He is able actually means he is powerful. Christ is all-powerful and can and does save people forever. The word forever may have the meaning completely as well as forever, for all time. Ongoing. Jesus Christ saves sinners totally and completely and forever. See, Christ takes sinful people and he saves them from the deepest filth, from the deepest corruption, and he saves completely. And no one is so corrupted or has committed so many sins that Jesus Christ cannot save them. See, when Christ does save people, he saves them forever. Christ provides a complete and perfect and unending salvation. He not only saves sinful people from the guilt and the penalty of sin, but he continues to save sinful saints from the power of sin in their daily lives. And I love the saying, someone has said, uh, Christ saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. I like that. So who is it that God saves in such a complete way? Is it everyone? No. He saves those who draw near to God through Christ and these who continue to draw near to him. Those who are recipients of his uttermost salvation are all who trust Christ. The words draw near actually mean 
to approach. And it refers to those believers in the Old Testament who were worshipers of the one true God. See, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the only way we can please God is to come to God through Christ. Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the strongest verses in the whole Bible on the security of the believer. I mean, once a person truly comes to Christ, he can never be lost. Once a person is saved, they are always saved. I love verse 25 because it says, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. See, the reason that Christ saves people eternally is because as an eternal priest, he is constantly praying for all true believers in Christ. Our salvation does not just depend on the death of our Savior, but it depends upon the resurrection, the ascension, and the high priesthood of a living Savior. When Christ makes intercession for his own, he entreats God the Father on their behalf. He goes to the Father. He has finished his work for sin, but he has the unfinished work of praying for the saints. Our salvation is secure because Christ, the eternal priest, is praying for our eternal salvation. See, Christ never dies never sleeps, never tires, never retires, but his ministry is an unbroken stream of powerful intercession for God's people. See, Christ, when he intercedes on our behalf, is praying that our faith will not fail and that we will uh, persevere to the end. This verse tells us that Christ saves forever those who continually draw near to God through Christ. The Bible teaches that those who are eternally secure in Christ will continue to exercise faith in Christ. 1 Peter 1.5 says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is not that the Christian's faith is keeping him saved, For Christians are kept by God's power. But faith is the evidence that we are secure in Christ. It is God's power that is bringing about our faith. We still might ask the question, well, how, Brother Ridge, how can we be sure we will continue in the faith? We can be sure because Christ is praying that our faith will not fail. See, this text tells us that Jesus prays for us. What does that mean in the simplest terms? Let me explain by way of using an illustration from Scripture. You remember, shortly before our Lord was betrayed, he looked at Simon Peter and he told him, he said, Satan has demanded permission that he might sift you like wheat. There was the problem that Peter was facing. But hear the assurance. 
but I have prayed for you. Satan has demanded permission that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, and you, when you return, strengthen the brethren. Jesus did not tell Peter, I hope that you might make it since I'm praying for you. There was the certainty that with Christ praying for him in spite of his weakness, that he would persevere, that he would endure, that he would come back. See, I think that's huge because it's not, it's not Christ hoping that we won't fail. It's that in our weakness, he knows we will, and he's praying for us that we will endure and that we will um, continue on and, and, and return. See, there is certainty of that that with Christ praying for him, he would persevere. There is the heart of what we need to see. We might stumble, we might fall, but Christ is praying. So we can and will and continue to press on in the faith. See, Satan at this very hour still desires to sift those who trust in Christ. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil still bombard every true believer. Trials and temptation, they beckon, they call the children of God. And yet, Christ is praying for all who draw near to God through Christ. That their faith will not fail. Every one of his own is on his sympathetic heart every minute of the day. There is not an instant that he does not bear us up before God's throne. See, the cross was the place of Christ's finished work for our sin. The Father's throne is the scene of his unfinished work for us, where he intercedes that we might come through all of life's experiences triumphantly and with persevering faith. See, the high priest of the Levitical priesthood is a beautiful type of Christ's priestly prayer for his people. The high priest wore the breastplate and the ephod. Upon these were engraved in precious gems the names of God's chosen, the twelve tribes of Israel. The priest could not enter the presence of Jehovah without these names upon his breast and shoulders. So Christ carries ever within his heart the names of his own. Your name and mine are there as he manifests and declares them there in the Father's presence, seeing how he always lives to make intercession for us. Now in verse 26 and 27 and 28, we're going to talk just a little bit here about Christ's finished work. Verse 26 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Jesus Christ is made to order for the Christian because he cares, he understands, and he loves us. He, is our, he as our high priest, meets our needs in this pressure-filled, hectic, highly mobile, tension-worn life. Christ is suitable to us. Scripture says there, 
for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. That points to Christ's suitability for his saving work. It means that he answered exactly to the requirements of the predicament. <laughs> that we were, the, the, the predicament that we were in as sinners. See, the author piles up five terms that emphasize the perfect purity of Jesus. In himself, nothing is left to be desired. Nothing is wanting that the sinner or the saint needs. Someone has put it in a beautiful acrostic with the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Just exactly suits us sinners. Just exactly suits us sinners. That's who Jesus is. He just exactly suits us sinners. Notice in verse 26, it says, Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So first he is holy, which points to his character as set apart unto God without any sin. It has a specifically a messianic connotation since it was used in Psalm 16.10 of Jesus as God's Holy One who would not see corruption. Okay, so he's holy. He's without any sin. Second, it says innocent. Means that he is entirely free from all that is evil and harmful, both in action and in motivation. I love that. He's holy. He's innocent. He's undefiled, which means to be free from any moral or spiritual blemish. It may point to Jesus' moral purity in contrast to the outward ritual purity of the Levitical priests. Though they may be pure outwardly, inwardly they were defiled as sinners. But Jesus was totally and completely pure within and throughout. Totally. It says here that he was separated from sinners. Does not mean that Jesus removed himself from contact with sinners. Not like, you know, in, in a monastic sense or, you know, like someone who lives in a monastery. But rather, although he was the friend of sinners, he kept himself separate and undefiled. Unlike the Levitical priests, who had to keep themselves away from anyone who would defile them ritually, Jesus could mix with sinful people, and yet their defilement did not affect him. He could touch lepers, the ritually unclean, and even the dead, without contracting their defilement. Instead, his purity and life-giving power were imparted, were given to them. Now, this verse also says, exalted above the heavens. This embraces the truth of Christ's resurrection, his ascension, and glorification, and it portrays the supreme perfection of our ever-living high priest in the sanctuary above. He is exalted 
in the heavens. It means the power of His all-sufficient atoning work is available without diminishment to us today as it was to the believers of the first century. And it is so because He who died for us is alive from the dead and He's enthroned on high. I really like verse 27 as well. It says, Who does not need daily like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices. First for his own sins, and then for the sins of, of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. See, Levitical priests were sinners in need of a sacrifice, even for their own sins. But Christ is sinless and makes no sacrifice for himself, but of himself, he makes a sacrifice for the sins of God's people. See, this was a once and for all sacrifice where Christ forever secured the salvation of his people. Christ in his death finished his work for sin and for sinners. The most wonderful thing is that Christ is both priest, high priest, but also sufferer. I want to say the suffering servant, as we read about in Isaiah. See, the Bible records for us seven sayings of Christ upon the cross. And in three of these sayings, he is acting as, as a priest. And in the other four, he is taking the role of the suffering servant. See, his first words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here he's interceding for the bloody murderers who nailed him to the cross. Then he turns to the thief at his side and says, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Here Christ is ministering grace to this revolutionary who readily admitted his own need. Then to his mother and the disciple John, who were standing at the foot of the cross, he said, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. He is still a priest ministering, comforting their hearts, giving one to the other to meet the need of life. But at this moment, a change occurred. The sun was hidden and a strange, unaccountable darkness fell across the face of the land for three hours. The first cry from the cross after this darkness was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's no longer a priest as such, but a sufferer. As he was bearing the sins of God's people in his body. He was a sacrifice on the altar of the cross. Then from the midst of the hot hell of pain and even more excruciating anguish of spirit came the words, I am thirsty. This is followed by the last two cries from the cross when with a loud voice at the end of three hours, he shouted, It is finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, even in these last words, he is still a sacrifice, a sufferer. 
having completed the work that God gave him to do. We're not quite done. Verse 28 says, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. God, on the basis of his oath, he appointed Christ, the eternal, sinless Son of God, to his priesthood. But the law, which is temporary, appointed sinful men to the Levitical priesthood. Jesus Christ was perfected forever through his suffering for sin, and he continues as a priest forever and ever and ever. See, the superiority of Jesus, the Son of God, as our high priest, is what guarantees our salvation, yours and mine, because he is superior as the Son of God and as our high priest. You know, have you ever gotten a promotional letter that maybe said in fine print something like actual results may vary or amounts used in this letter are for illustration purposes only. Actual earnings may be less. (laughs) You know, those statements greatly limit the promises of the offer, whatever it is. But understand that God's promises But God promises us that because Jesus is our superior high priest, salvation is guaranteed for all who draw near to God through Jesus Christ. There is no fine print stating sinner must clean up his life first. It does not say offer does not apply to really bad sinners. Jesus promises the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. That's found in John 6, 37. He guarantees salvation for all eternity if you will come to him. Do you know this great high priest who continually intercedes for all who have come to know God through him? See, by His grace, through faith, He is knowable. And once you know Him, you can be assured that He saves you forever and that He who always has His prayers answered always, always, always is praying for you. Folks, that is good news. I don't care who you are because we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. You know, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, I'm going to be out of pocket, taking some time to rest, uh, to be refreshed and to be renewed. Okay, I'm going to be on vacation. Um, 
When I get back, we will continue in our study of Hebrews. In the meantime, uh, Steve Hubbard uh, will be leading a 6 p.m. Wednesday evening prayer service and Bible study at Memorial at the church discussing Jesus' Olivet Discourse. Until then, till we see each other again, stay safe, practice good hygiene, stay studied up in God's Word. I want to say eat well and get some exercise. And whatever you do, whatever you do, give God all the praise and glory and honor that is due His name. We serve an awesome God. I hope to see all of you real soon. God bless you.